the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Would you take your Bibles now and turn with me to the book of Malachi, the third chapter. We're going to read from verse 6 through verse 12. Let's remember as we hear this now that this is God's Word. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Have you ever been a part of a relationship that is coming to an end? And the person who's bringing an end to the relationship says something pretty simple. They say, you know, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. Ending relationships is extremely hard. Any kind of discussions and deliberations around it is extraordinarily challenging. And really, one of the only acceptable things that one can say is, it's not you, it's me. I'm the one who's changed. I'm the one that has the problem. As if the bitterness of the end of the relationship can be tempered a little bit by saying, all right, this is coming to an end, but I take responsibility for it. I take the blame. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, the Lord God has some challenging words for the people of Israel. He is, in essence, saying that they are breaking up. He's leaving them. And he's punctuating it by saying, and it's not me, it's you. It's not me, it's you. You're the one who has changed. You're the one who is the problem. You're the one that needs to take the blame. These are harsh words. This is a harsh breakup, but... The first thing we should say is that God is right. He shows his people how they have been the problem. And the second thing that we should say is that God is extraordinarily gracious. He says that he is willing to come back to them at the very moment 
that they decide that they are going to return to him. And then he gives them a specific way that the people can return. It's by stopping the stealing that's going on. It's by quitting the robbing that's going on and by beginning to give again. And so we're going to talk about the two different parts of this passage. The first part is the it's not me, it's you part. And the second part is the stop stealing from God part. The first part takes up the first two verses. It's not me, it's you. And the second part takes up the final verses. Stop stealing from God. That's 8 through 12. Let's take a look at those first two. Right at the top of this message, God drops the difficult, it's not me, it's you comment. He says in verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God is a God who is the same yesterday and today and forever. God is not a God who changes. He is not captive to his passions. He has always been, he is right now, and he will always be the same. He is the fullness of goodness and love and mercy and grace and justice and truth and righteousness and holiness and faithfulness. He has all of those things in infinite measure. And that will not change. And that is very good for Israel. That's very good for the people of God. It means that God has not ever stopped loving them. It means that God has never left them for another people group. It means that God was still faithful to all of his promises to them. And it means that in their disobedience that they were not destroyed. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You see... God talks about how they have not been consumed, how they haven't been destroyed because God recognizes their unfaithfulness in the course of the relationship. God recognizes it's not me, it's you. Israel had not been faithful. Really, there was no generation in the history of Israel that was a faithful generation. I mean, there are little bits here and there, of times when the people of Israel are faithful. There are brief periods of renewal or revival or restoration but they were always temporary. After God takes the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and as he is bringing them across the wilderness and into a promised land, immediately the people start complaining about God and what it is that he had done and where it is that he had taken them and why they didn't have enough food and why it is that they didn't have enough drink. And immediately they began false worship. They constructed a golden calf and they bowed down to it and worshiped it. God's people of Israel, after seeing this extraordinary act of God's deliverance, bringing them out of Egypt, the people of Israel immediately turned to complaining and false worship. And God still brought them into the promised land. But here again, they almost immediately start chasing after the gods of Canaan. And still God is gracious and sends them judges to free them from foreign oppression when foreign nations had come and to return the people to faithful worship. And then the people demand kings and there are so few faithful kings. And king after king after king turns away from the ways of the Lord and and starts pursuing the idols, the false gods of the people of Canaan and leading the people in that same sort of perverse worship. And even after the exile, when the Lord brings the people back into the promised land, again, after this time of chastening, the people start complaining. People fail to follow God. And we see that in the book of Malachi. The people are presently unfaithful. The priests, at this moment when Malachi is speaking to them, are leading corrupted worship and they're offering polluted sacrifices. The people, at this moment, are not faithful to their marriage covenant and the men are divorcing their wives. Israel, 
at this moment is engaged in serious social sins in sorcery and in adultery and in lying and in oppression and in injustice against the worship, against the worker, against the widow, against the orphan and against the refugee. At this very moment, Israel is being unfaithful. God here is rightly saying that he isn't the problem here. He is not the one who is changed. And it's because God is changeless that he has not utterly destroyed the people of Israel. Because they've broken covenant again and again and again and again. It's not me, says God. It's you. But God is so gracious. Verse 7. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That's wonderful, isn't it? Israel had been a faithless spouse again and again and again and again. Generation after generation, the people of God have given the Lord God reason to turn away and reject them. And worse than that, they've given him a reason to destroy them. And yet God says in the midst of that, I still want you. I still want you to return to me. And I'll return to you. I'm still here. I still want relationship with you. I want you to come back. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. And so I don't know the status of your relationship with the Lord. It may be that this is one of those times where you feel as though the Lord is far away from you. This is extremely hard. But you and I need the humility to be able to say, I am the problem, Lord. I want to return to you. It takes a huge dose of humility to say, I am the issue. I am the problem. I am the one that is wrong. I know that this takes a great deal of humility because I've had to live this sort of thing. I've lived an analogy of this very thing. Let me tell you the story of me and Aubrey's breakup. It was our third anniversary of dating. I had planned a great date for my wife, now wife, at that time, girlfriend, right? It was three years. I found out after the fact that she had gotten her nails done and was anticipating that on this momentous three-year dating anniversary, perhaps a certain piece of jewelry would be put on her hand and the pictures were taken. She wanted to have nails that were nice for it. I've always been a fool when it comes to relationships, so that went right over my head. I was persisting in a terrible uncertainty about the whole relationship. And so in the midst of the dating relationship, as it became clearer and clearer to Aubrey that there was no ring and no proposal that was going to be coming at the end of our three-year anniversary date, she asked me, Derek, where are you in the course of this relationship? And I, defeated and uncertain, I mean, there were problems in the course of our relationship. There were difficulties that we were facing in our dating relationship. And I was filled with anxiety and uncertainty. And so I just hung my head and I shook it. And I said, I have no idea. And she asked, is there ever going to be a time where you're certain and you're able to move forward? And I said, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And Aubrey knew. She wanted to be married. And she also knew that she couldn't continue in the midst of my indecision forever. It had been three years and I still wasn't sure. And so she gently told me, well, because of your indecision, it's over for us. She didn't say, it's not me, it's you, but it's clear enough. 
And because, again, I'm a fool when it comes to dating relationships, I assume that it was her fault, right? That all of the problems in the dating relationship were because of things that Aubrey was doing in the course of the relationship, and we were broken up for a year. And in the course of that year of us being separated, I dated somebody else, personality-wise, very different from Aubrey. And I thought, man, given these differences in personality, all those problems that persisted in my relationship with Aubrey, they will be gone now. But guess what? The same problems persisted in this new dating relationship. And at one particular day, it was like I was smacked across the face with a terrible realization. I was the problem all along. I was the problem all along. And that was an extraordinarily humiliating realization. And so I ended things with the person I was dating and I returned to the only woman that I had ever loved. And guess what? She took me back. The relationship was restored. We got married, but it was exceedingly humbling to recognize that I was the problem. It is embarrassing for me to talk with you about it right now because it is a great challenge to come to the place where someone says, I'm the issue, I'm the problem, my issues are more fundamental But relationship with Aubrey was more than worth the temporary embarrassment of needing to acknowledge that the problem was my own. If you have felt distant from God, today I need to tell you that you've got to have the humility to be able to say, I am the one that's at fault here. God hasn't changed. Maybe you're watching this this morning. Maybe you grew up in the church. You haven't been back to church in a while and you've just happened to cross this live stream while you're stuck at home this morning and you're watching and you're realizing, man, it's been a long time since I've stepped into a church building. I mean, I was raised there. At one point, I professed that I believe Jesus, but it's been a long time since I've been back. It just feels different now. It feels like he's far away. Well, God hasn't changed. He calls you back. Maybe you have been a Christian, you're still part of the church, but you have been caught in this or that or the other sin. Maybe the way that you've been thinking, maybe the way that you've been acting, maybe the way that you've been speaking. And maybe you've even come to love the ideology that's captivated you or the words that you feel so good when you say or the actions that are sinful And you feel like, well, that's God's problem if he's not okay with this. Let me tell you, the problem is not God's. The problem is yours. And God hasn't changed. And he still calls you back. And he's so gracious that he is always the one that does the calling and the pursuing. He's so gracious that he doesn't call you to ascend into heaven and to stand before him and make yourself right so that you can come to him and say, I'm back. No, 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 no. He sent his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is so gracious that he came to earth. Christ is so gracious that he died and shed his blood and rose again so that all who turn to him and repent of sin are forgiven, are given the righteousness of Jesus. Have the humility today that says my distance from God has been my problem, not God's problem, and return to him. And Israel asks here in verse seven, well, how shall we return? 
That's the way that verse 7 asks. How shall we return? And God gives a specific way that the people of Israel can return. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the rest of our time together today. He tells Israel to stop stealing from him. Verse 8 says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. The people of Israel living at this time not only were engaged in corrupted worship, not only were being unfaithful to marriage covenant, not only were engaged in social sins, they were all people, also people that were refusing to give to God his due. And in so doing, they were robbing him. They were stealing their tithes and contributions away from the Lord God. Now, to understand what it is that they were called to, recognize that the, the call of God to us who kind of, I think sometimes operate, operate with a, well, I'll give what I can sort of mentality, or maybe we think, well, I'll, I'll try to give 10% sort of mentality, recognize that there were three different tithes that the people of Israel were called to. Here's the first one talked about in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. It's a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit of the trees belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So this first tithe is a tithe of produce and livestock. Everything, one out of ten, is holy. It's devoted to the Lord. This included one-tenth of the income of the people of God. This was the first tithe that was supposed to be given to the Lord. There was a second tithe that was also demanded as well. It was called the festival tithe. This one was a fun tithe. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22 and 23 says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. This was a time, a tithe, that was set aside for a great party and a time of worship. It was fearing the Lord and it was thanking him for what he had done. And there was a third tithe as well. In Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29, we're told about this one. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all of the works of your hand. This third tithe was added to the first two and it was called the charity tithe. It was for the Levites, but also for the fatherless, for the widow, for the refugee in the midst of the people of Israel. All of these were commanded by God for the people of Israel. And some biblical commentators, when they take a look at this, say, well, the Lord was expecting that 23% on average of the people's income would be set aside to give to God, to give in worship and thankfulness and celebration, and to give to the fatherless, the widow, and the Levites people of Israel had not done that. And in so doing, they had stolen from him. They had robbed God. And you might think, well, man, God was demanding a lot. I mean, he was expecting a lot, like 23%. That's a lot. But why is it robbing God? Why is it stealing from God? Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, every single thing belongs to God. God is not saying, all of this is yours, give me some of what is yours so that, so that the priest can live, so that the fatherless and the widow can be taken care of, so that you can worship and celebrate. No, God is saying, I have given all of this to you. I'm asking that you just give a percentage of it back. 
And because Israel was not giving a percentage back, because they were not giving the tithes and the offerings to the Lord, they were stealing from him because they were taking what was God's and using it not in the way that God had told them to use it. They were using it solely for themselves. This was stealing from God. Everything belongs to God. You and I are stewards in the Lord's house. Now, understand that this word steward, this might be a little bit of a, of a word that doesn't really connect or resonate. What God is saying is that everything that is in the world, all of the resources that you and I possess, our very lives, these are all things that are gifts from God given to us. He is the owner of these things. He has tasked us to be managers of these things. That means that we need to use them in a way that honors God. And when we, as people who really have no right to any of the resources or the time or the lives that we possess, when we use all of our time and all of our money and all of our resources only for ourselves, we are stealing from God because we're failing to acknowledge that he is the one that has given them to us. We're living as if we were the owners of these things and we're not. God is. We're stealing from God. And so I need to say this clearly today. If you're not giving to the Lord, if you're not generous with your resources, if you're not generous with your financial resources, then you're stealing from God. And the tithe that was required from the people of Israel was something that enabled there to continue to be worship that went on in the midst of the temple. And the people were holding it back. This was stealing. And so the Lord says that because they're stealing from him, they're cursed with a curse. That's verse nine. All of the famine and the drought that they were experiencing, this was a part of a curse because they were holding back God's resources from God and treating them as if they were the owners of those things. And so the Lord says, all right, you're cursed right now because you have been stingy with my resources. But again, he is gracious. And so take a look at verse 10 and following. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to, fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is a section of scripture that we need to dig into just a little bit here. There are a few things for us to take note of, particularly in verse 10. This is one of those verses that is sometimes used by certain preachers. They're sometimes called prosperity preachers. What they say is, you, if you will just sow a seed, that's oftentimes the language that's used, this language of sowing a seed. If you will just give my ministry some money, God promises that he will give more back to you. I was watching a, a, a television program where a prosperity preacher was speaking and he made it very clear to everyone that was watching that if they would just give him money, that God would give to them five, 10, a hundred times what it is that they had given to him in the first place. This preacher was trying to use the words of Malachi chapter three here. You just give to me and God will give you more than you gave to me in the first place. That's a misuse of Malachi 3 verse 10. There's one thing that we need to notice right away at the very beginning. This is a promise that's given to Israel in general. This has never been at any point a promise that if individuals will give God a certain amount of money, that he will give them a certain amount of resources back in return. God's not a vending machine. 
God's not a bank that promises you a certain rate of return on the resources that you give to him. Now, I mean, I want to be clear. There are times where friends of mine, people that I've known, people that I've read about, that have talked about giving in a way that hurt, really hurt, that was really challenging, and then returned to find that that which they had given had been returned to them through another act of generous giving. But this isn't what that passage is promising. It's not promising, all right, if you just, if you give your tithe, you're going to be rich. Because the promise in the first place was given to the whole people of God. Second, the thing to notice is that, is that uh, what's happening here is that there are, there are some physical blessings that are spoken of in terms of restoration of the whole land, of the whole relationship. God is saying, if you repent, if you return to me, and if you do it, Israel, through the returning of, of the tithe that I've commanded you, there will be a restoration of your land and there will be a restoration of our relationship. The third thing to note is that God here tells the people to put him to the test. This is an interesting thing that God says in the 10th verse here. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. When Satan is, when Satan is tempting the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so you and I shouldn't, except in those places where God explicitly is commanding it. Here he's saying, in this instance, in this way, as it relates to finances, I'm going to invite you to test me. I'm going to invite you to test me to see what restoration might take place if you are willing to show that your heart has returned to me. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.